Welcome to episode 54 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Calvin Quinn. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm joined here today by Calvin Quinn, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, and I would be lying if I also said that uh, I didn't spend a few minutes practicing the pronunciation of your last name, Calvin, but <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being here today, man. I appreciate it, man. You pronounced it right and you spelled it right. Awesome. Yeah, two two bonuses. The spelling is the spelling is an inexcusable one. Like I can see it on on all of your stuff. Like I, there's no reason to spell somebody's name wrong. I guess maybe a typo here and there, but really we shouldn't spell people's names wrong. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you for being here. I, I very much appreciate it. Uh, I want to give you a chance just quickly to introduce yourself, kind of tell people who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah. So my name is Calvin. I'm from Southern California. I do pretty much three things, very basic things in the fitness industry. Uh, I've never really done anything else in my life. I've never had like a real job, but uh, I do personal training. I do uh, most of my work is online coaching. So online fitness and nutrition coaching. And then lastly, uh, I'm really big into writing. So I write a lot of fitness articles. I think I have, I want to say close to 200 published articles just scattered across the web. Uh, Some of them are ghostwritten. So if you've ever read a fitness article, I probably wrote one of the ones you read. Um, and that's a large part of my uh, journey and career as well. But outside of those three things, I don't really do much. I like to dance, surf, go out with friends, watch Netflix. Pretty boring, simple life. I wouldn't say that's boring. That's a that's a that's an awesome life. What's what's wrong with that? There's nothing nothing better than training, coaching, and just doing things that you enjoy, whether that be dancing or surfing or whatever. I wish I could say that I was into surfing, but you know. Toronto, not really that conducive to yeah. <laughs> No beaches there. Yeah. That, that's an incredible amount of art. Like I knew you had written a lot, but I didn't know it was like 200 plus. And that's that's a lot. And the amount of work as I've started, you know, recently writing some articles myself, it's it's a lot of work that goes into each article. It's not just an Instagram mm-hmm. caption spit off the top of your head. It's, it's a lot. So that's impressive. I appreciate it, man. Every, pretty much every year since I started writing, uh, I've written more articles in each year. So I've learned to be a bit more productive with uh, just quantity wise, just getting over writer's block, right? things like that. I don't know how, how much I can keep that up, but I think I can keep increasing my yearly output for at least another couple or few years. And then after that, I don't, I just don't think it's realistic to like crank out like 500 articles a year or anything like that. Right. Yeah. There's, there's definitely like a, a point of diminishing returns. And like at that point, like 500 articles, that would be, that's more than one a day. Like that's crazy. Right. And, yeah. And you want to, it's impossible. At, yeah. I guess towards that, like, you know, you'll be further ahead in your career. So you want to make maybe more in depth stuff. Not that your articles are, that like your articles now are very in depth and very like science driven. You, you have, uh, not what's the word, uh, not a quotation, but, uh, citations Citations, that's the word i'm looking for citations and everything so it's not just like your thoughts and feelings in your articles like they're legit science articles um, Mm -hmm. which is impressive so yeah 500 articles a year would be wild (laughs) yeah that was just the number i got off the top of my head but that's clearly impossible yeah yeah but uh no that's awesome and and i think that you know you, you would know this more than me but i don't think that the writing articles thing is like it's not going away anytime soon and in fact it's probably getting bigger like sure video is a is a big part of things and the way that we learn things like for an exercise demonstration it's hard to just read about it you got to kind of see somebody doing it um but the articles the information written as opposed to videos i think it's huge and and will continue to be yeah definitely especially if you want to learn something in depth you just can't get that even just from like an instagram caption you need something like if someone truly wants to learn a topic about like how does muscle growth work what does soreness mean like you can get some of the distilled points 
on like Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. But in order to truly understand the whole like lesson, an article, like at least a few thousand words is necessary. Yeah, agreed. And I think that part of it is, you know, when you go to Instagram, you're not going there. Most people are not going there to learn. They're going there to distract themselves or to entertain yeah. <laughs> themselves. So it's like, yeah, you might see a great educational post, but like you weren't really planning to learn. So you kind of, you know, you skim through the captions, swipe through the slides and like, okay, sure. Yeah. Calvin said this, you know, whatever, forget it. In the next picture you see of like, you know, a girl's butt or some guy's abs or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but an article, you know, you've, you're committed to that. It's like, okay, I, I clicked on this on purpose. I'm going to go read this and like spend the next 10 minutes or whatever it is reading this. So it's a great, mm -hmm. it's a great way to pass along information. Definitely. The reason that I, that I reached out to you and, and the main thing that I want to kind of get into today is that you recently finished a, a, an episode of bulking or a period of bulking as in gaining muscle mass and muscle size. And, and as did I, and we both took different approaches and had different results. And I kind of wanted to compare and contrast uh, those things a little bit. So why don't we start by telling people why you wanted to gain muscle and kind of what was your, you know, your thought process behind that. And then we'll get into how you did it. Yeah. So thought process behind gaining muscle, uh, as far as just bulking. So at least definition wise, uh, bulking is being intentionally in a surplus to gain weight. Uh, ideally most of that weight would be muscle mass. Some of it will be fat inevitably, but the rationale and the reason behind it is that it's almost necessary based on both experience and the literature to bulk, to gain muscle for some individuals. If you are a beginner, you can gain muscle without bulking, right? Most people want to generally avoid bulking, especially because they hear about fat gain and they're like, oh, I don't want to gain fat, right? So fortunately, beginners usually worry about that and beginners don't have to bulk. So beginners, they have a lot of genetic ceiling left. So they have a lot of muscle growth to stimulate. So they can still build quite a bit of muscle without bulking. And then in addition to that, overweight people or people with excess body fat can easily gain muscle without bulking because uh, we know that for, for most people, especially people who've probably been watching your podcast, they know that in order to lose weight or lose body fat, you generally have to be in a caloric deficit. So you take in fewer calories and you burn off over time. So that means fat tissue is being stripped away from you. Now to build muscle is slightly different. You don't actually have to be in a caloric surplus to build muscle, but you do need a net amount of protein synthesis, meaning your body has to construct more proteins than it breaks down in order for you to get net muscle size. So instead of muscle tissue being stripped away or fat tissue being stripped away, uh, muscle tissue is expanding. So in a net amount. So for that to happen, you need uh, resources. So you have to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and you need the resources, the energy to feel that process. So if you're overweight, you have fat tissue. So even if you're in a deficit, right, technically you're in a deficit, meaning energy is being taken away from you. But that energy, when it's being taken away, like when your fat tissue is being stripped off, that energy is also being used to fuel the muscle growth process. So in, in layman's term, you can even say that uh, your fat tissue is in a deficit, but your muscle tissue is in a surplus even though net wise, like your, your caloric intake is actually in a deficit. So for overweight people, they can also get away with uh, building muscle without being in a surplus or without bulking. Now, the problem is uh, most people start off their, their fitness journey being, you know, overweight and a, and a beginner. So they're, they're new to lifting weights and they have excess fat tissue. So oftentimes what they experience is once they start lifting weights and eating a relatively, you know, nutritious diet, they start gaining muscle pretty fast. But then after they gain it pretty fast, 
it slows down pretty fast as well. Then after a certain point, what I see a lot is people think they can just keep going like that, but they, they end up being those guys who go to the gym like every single day and they never really get bigger. They never get stronger. <laughs> they never put on more muscle. They're just yeah. doing the same workouts for the same reps and the same uh, sets and weight and everything. So they don't realize that they've reached a point where they're probably lean enough where they can't build muscle without being a, in a surplus and they're very close to their genetic ceiling. And so in order to force more muscle tissue, right, in order to get a stronger signal for muscle growth, you have to be in a surplus. Like you can't just deficit or maintain your way to uh, more muscle. Like there's a, there's a term around going, uh, it's called gain-taining where guys just like, hey, I don't want to like bulk, but I don't want to like diet either. I, I just want to gain-tain. And that might work for like maybe intermediates and beginners, like I said, but anyone who's truly advanced and truly lean, like I'm talking like six pack lean, and you've been training really hard, slapping on muscle tissue, slapping weight on the bar for like a few years, you're just not gonna build any detectable muscle. Um, and in some literature, and at least from my experience with clients, sometimes you don't build any muscle at all, like, like no muscle at all, unless you enter that surplus. So you get an, a surplus of energy, right? Not only is that extra calories to, to stack muscle growth, but those extra calories signal a stronger uh, muscle, ba- muscle building signal to your muscles. So, uh, that was a really long way of saying, uh, I'm bulking because I pretty much have to, to build muscle. And a lot of people out there listening to this might be in the same position, especially if you're very lean. And this applies to both men, uh, and women. Now, as far as the, the bulk bulk goes, uh, I think I probably communicated something wrong to you. Uh, I'm actually still in my bulk. Okay. So, uh, I've actually gained, I think, 10 pounds in the last five months. And I want to continue to gain up until uh, end of April. Because there's almost, uh, once you reach the stage, there's almost no incentive to be in, uh, to be at maintenance, especially maintenance. Um, and then a deficit, you could just, you could lose fat any, at any time, right? Uh, no matter how, how well you progress in your, your, your training career, you can still lose the same amount of fat given the same deficit. But muscle building is much more meticulous year after year, bulking gets even harder, right? So it serves you better to stay in the bulk long enough, as long as you're not gaining too fast uh, for me. So right now I'm okay with being a little fluffy. Uh, Jawline is lost a little bit. Six pack is getting a little bit fluffy, but I'm happy to keep gaining until, uh, until April because then, you know, you can always have a jawline. You can always have six pack. You can just lose body fat. But because building muscle is so much more meticulous, I want to stay in that that bulk for longer. Right. Yeah. You said a lot of amazing things there, of course, um, and and a lot of things that I want to just highlight because there are things that I commonly said and and common themes that I think people should understand um, when trying to gain muscle is that one, it takes a long time. Like mm-hmm. Calvin's not bulking for three weeks. You can't just do a three week bulk. You know, you see like six weeks shred diets. Like you can't. There's no such six week bulk. Yeah. training program or something it just <laughs> no, doesn't work you're, unless you're a brand brand new like you might gain a little bit in six weeks but still like it takes a long time so you know buckle up and 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 get ready to be in it for a long time the second thing is accepting that there's going to be some amount of fat gain now that can vary and that's the one thing i think that we're going to touch on whereas the way that i did it i gained quite a bit more and, and you're doing it in a much more sensible manner um and, and both with intention and, and we'll get into that but 
some amount of that is is necessary because it's very hard as an advanced or even an intermediate trainee to just gain pure muscle like the the mm-hmm. potential which is another thing that you touched on is a is a great way to think about it as in you're getting closer to your potential so when you're brand new to the gym you have so much potential like 100% of potential you can mm-hmm. do nothing but improve right you you're already not great at anything in the gym so you can do nothing but improve um, and, and as you improve, you know, you've got less room to improve. So things go slower and we need to take different actions to elicit the same responses as, as we would with anything, the same way that you learned how to do, you know, one plus one is not the same way you learned how to do like advanced calculus. And I don't know about you, but I never learned advanced calculus, so I have no idea how to do that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think that, so I think that that's a, a really great way to kind of explain it and think about like the, the potential as well as the availability of resources. Now, I think another thing that we should mention is that probably most people who are overweight or obese are, are not thinking about bulking. They will gain muscle like by accident, but they don't need to necessarily be doing that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when you're over, like when you're significantly overweight, bulking might not even result in in muscle gain just because you have. If you uh, some literature shows that if you're uh, just excessively fat, right, and you uh, enter a surplus, you just gain more fat. You, mm-hmm. The the proportion of, of muscle to fat isn't as favorable as you think. Right, and and most people who are again obese or overweight, they already have a significant amount of muscle tissue. They just also have a significant amount of fat tissue. Correct. Like if, yeah. you, if you watch some people who are overweight in the gym and they're doing any type of machine, you'll like, especially like a pulling machine, like a horizontal row, very commonly you'll see them pulling the whole stack and they're mm-hmm. not, they're pretty new to the gym, but they're just super strong because they're super big. Right. And so they don't need more muscle tissue. They just need less fat tissue. Right. And, and that's okay. That's like, you know, healthy and all that stuff. But, uh, just to, just to say for anyone who's, who's maybe making that, uh, making that mistake there. Exactly. So then let's let's talk about how you're doing what you're doing. So just to compare to let you know, because I, I, we haven't really had a full conversation on this, you and I. So I bulked for about six months. Uh, I gained about 25 pounds in, the, in that six months. More of it was fat than muscle for sure. Obviously, I did not gain 25 pounds of muscle in, in six months. Mm-hmm. That would be insane. Um, and, and the reason that I did it that way was was on purpose to gain a little bit of more body fat. That way I can show people now on through my Instagram how to lose fat. So I, so I kind of got a little bit oh, nice. fluffier than I need to. And I wouldn't have done it this way if I wasn't like a, you know, Instagram guy. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, it, it still worked for what I was doing. I, I gained the same amount of muscle that I would have gained. I just gained extra fat. Whereas you're doing it in a much more sensible and realistic way where you're gaining minimal fat as possible. Yeah. That's also a really good reason. It's kind of like a, a, what, what's that show called fit to fat to fit, I think. Yeah. Where you like, uh, you know, you get a little bit fluffier than, you know, you're comfortable with. And then you, you show your clients, Hey, like, we can lose this, you know, as long as the habits are in place. Right. Right. So then what are the strategies you're using to limit fat gain while still being in a surplus? Uh, so honestly, I can just chalk it down to experience. So I generally bulk every single year um, just because I have a, a leaner frame. So if I want to make any sort of like aesthetic progression within my physique, I'd have to bulk every year. So generally I would bulk between like August, September to like I mentioned about like around April and then May is when people start inviting you to pool parties and you probably <laughs> want to be a, a little bit leaner for that. Right. So, uh, how I minimize fat gain is just basically experience, like knowing, uh, what, knowing what my surplus is. So the key to minimizing 
fat gain is to not be in too big of a surplus. So this, you can run into two issues here. Uh, you could run into the issue of you could try to limit fat gain so much that you don't even enter a surplus, which is like really bad, especially if you're really lean, like I mentioned, because if you don't enter that surplus, you don't get that extra signal. So uh, that's one of the advantages to your approach for sure is, hey, if we just overeat, right? At least right. we always know we're in a surplus. Like every single week we're maximizing muscle gain, exactly. right? So that's the beauty of, of uh, going a little bit more aggressive. Um, the other end, if you are concerned about fat gain, right? If you overeat uh, without the intentions of gaining excess body fat, you might just gain more fat that you'll have to lose later on anyways. So if you're thinking super long-term, you might have to spend more weeks uh, cutting anyways, right? That you could have spent, you know, extra weeks bulking. Um, that's a really long-term perspective though. But as far as just minimizing fat gain, it's just making sure you eat uh, calories consistent enough in order to gain uh, at your appropriate rate, which for most people would be, uh, myself included, I'm trying to gain about uh, 0.5 to 0.75% uh, of body weight every single week. So ideally it'd be closer to 0.5. So if I'm getting closer to 0.75, I'm probably gaining excess body fat. At right. least if I'm gaining about 0.5 or you know maybe 0.3, 0 0.4% body weight every single week, I might not be maximizing muscle gain as much as I could be, but at least I know I'm minimizing fat gain to, to the fullest. So making sure your rate of gain is uh, slow enough, but making sure that it actually gains, which is a big problem I see with, with beginner bulkers, right? If you're a beginner bulker, you likely have a lot of muscle growth to stimulate anyways. So you might as well go more aggressive, in my opinion, as long as you have a good program. Ideally, you have a coach that makes sure uh, you're getting stronger and implementing progressive overload then you might as well go more aggressive because the last thing you want is to waste your time in a bulk. In, in my opinion, it's worse to waste time on a bulk than to gain a little bit extra, uh, extra body fat. Yeah. Agreed. I think, an, I think another part of this is like you and I are both a little bit more experienced at this. So kind of, you know how your body's going to change and how it's going to react and you have an end date in mind and you know what's coming after that. And it's not like, Oh, I'm just going to bulk and maybe I'll get a little bit fluffier, but then I don't have any plan for after that. Like you already know how you're going to get back to that lower body for percentage that you want to be at when you're done this next phase of the bulk. So I think that's another thing that people kind of get stuck on. Like I didn't gain all this body fat just because like it happened by accident. It happened very intentionally and I know exactly how it's going to go away and how long that's going to take and all those things. Um, and so that's, that's another thing too. And, and like you mentioned, you know, losing body fat is, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. Maybe it's a little harder psychologically, but it's a lot easier mechanically than, than gaining muscle is for sure. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, losing body fat is definitely easier mechanically, but <laughs> harder, harder, harder psychologically, at least for most people. Yeah. Yeah. So having, a, having a plan, like you mentioned is, is, uh, obviously very important. Now, uh, as far as your training, because, you know, training is also a big, uh, and I think as well, more important in bulking than in when we're cutting or losing fat because mm -hmm. your training has to, you know, grow your muscles. And so it's not just about eating. It's also about training. So how is your training organized, uh, while you're bulking and how does it differ from when you're losing weight? Gotcha. So I'm glad you brought this up because training is, training is arguably more important than nutrition for minimizing fat gain, right? Because right. your nutrition, you provide a surplus, right? And that surplus is supposed to fuel your training and your training, the purpose of your training is to stimulate as much muscle growth as possible. So we know that, 
you know, more quality training, if we have good variables in place, they stimulate more muscle growth. And why that's important is because if you don't stimulate that, if you don't signal that, that surplus still has to go somewhere. So um, we want all of that surplus to go towards muscle growth and it can't go there unless you signal for it. So if you don't signal for it, that surplus is still going to be stored as tissue, meaning the only other tissue it's going to be stored as is all body fat. And that's the last thing you want to do. So training wise, uh, you need a really good hypertrophy training program. So uh, we can, uh, I don't know if this would be like all for this episode. We can also get into this in, in another episode, but the most important thing in your program is to get stronger is progressive overload needs to be implemented. So while there are other variables that are really, really important too, like you can still get additional stimulation from it. The most important thing is that you get stronger, which means that uh, for progressive overload to happen, your performance has to go up over time uh, during your bulk, ideally during your cut too, but extra important during your bulk. So uh, as far as my training goes, uh, I do a very, uh, my style is very different from most people. I do a very high frequency style of training. So most of my training days are full body-ish. I say ish because sometimes I say full body and people assume I just train like every single muscle group every day. (laughs) But uh, my training is typically, it involves both the upper and lower body for, for every single day which is a little bit different than, than most people. Most people usually do like a, like a shoulder day and an arm day or like a push day, pull day, leg day, things like that. Right. Um, so I do a higher frequency of training. Uh, every, every training session, if it's, tra- if it's training the same muscle group, I make sure to use a different muscle. So that way there's no overlapping fatigue that is specific to the exercise. So like for me right now, I'm trying to build uh, quads a lot. So one day might be a hack squat, might de- one day w- might be a leg press, another day might be uh, some sort of like uh, front foot elevated lunge and then like a leg extension. And then I try to progress those uh, at least every single week, maybe every single two weeks, um, whether it's just adding a rep, whether it's just adding like a little bit of weight, I try to progress almost every single exercise. So uh, another like common mistake I see with like training is people, uh, people usually only try to progress they're like big like movements. Like they'll try to progress their like bench press and their squat and their deadlift, right? But they're not actually like progressing like bicep curls, lateral raises, hamstring curls. Like you should, you can and should be able to progress everything. So uh, how I train is I try to progress everything. And if something's not progressing, then I try to adjust the variable, whether that's just dropping the exercise, lowering volume or taking some sort of deload. Um, the goal with your training is to always try to get stronger or set yourself up to get stronger. Yeah, agreed. I think a lot of people kind of, they just treat their accessory movements like so lackadaisical, like they don't even care about them. Like it's just there for the sake of being there. Like those exercises are in your program because they matter. They're not just there because you need to get a little bit more tired at the end of the workout. Like (laughs) you should go as hard on on your leg extensions, your shoulder rotations, your bicep curls as you do on your pull-ups and squats and everything else. Like they're there for a reason. And I think that's a huge reason why I agree with you that you know, people don't progress at this. There's a, there's a girl who works out at my gym and she recently hit like a big PR and she was, she was pretty excited about it. She hip thrusted like three, three fifteen for 10 reps, something like that. It was, it was impressive. But then she mm-hmm. was like the next breath, she was like complaining. She's like, Oh my God, I can hip thrust 300 pounds, but, but I can't do a push up." Like, well, and I said to her, I said, well, you go so hard on your hip thrusts. Like you never even get excited about your pushups. You just kind of like lazily do them at the end of your workout. No wonder you don't get better at them because you just don't care about them. Like you got to attack everything hard. Right. And again, especially in a bulk, it's just even more important. Yeah, exactly. The progressive overload is a, is a big aspect. And, and one thing I 
also want to highlight that you said there was it's not just weight. It can be an additional rep. It can be, you know, getting getting a fuller range of motion on that last rep or, mm-hmm. or many different reasons. It's not just stacking weight on the bar constantly. Like if we could add weight to the bar every single week for every single exercise, everybody <laughs> would be able to squat like 700 pounds easily, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reps is really important. Just adding that extra one or two reps makes a huge difference. And are you more do you train in a more of a higher rep range or or in the lower rep range to failure like how do you set it up personally i'm, I'm sure it kind of changes like through phases of training but how do you set it up for yourself uh, most of my exercises are done i'd say like i'd say moderate reps moderate to maybe higher reps uh maybe i'll lean more towards lower reps for like heavier exercises like uh leg press uh barbell romanian deadlifts things like that but i'd say for the most part it, it's generally around the, the moderate rep range and I try to stay within, uh, I'd, I'd say like about four reps try a failure uh, on every single set. So if I have multiple working sets, what will usually happen is the first set, I'll be like, you know, three or four, four reps away from failure. And then towards the end, towards the, the later sets, uh, I'll basically reach failure in order to get overload. So overload, it's, it's great that you asked this question. So overload and intensity, um, so uh, we'll call it effort. Effort's how, how close you get to failure. Uh, they're very interconnected, but they're still a little different. And I would say most people should be focusing more on, on overload because you can work really hard. You can try to get really close to failure, but you might not actually be getting overload and vice versa. You can actually implement progressive overload without actually getting super close to failure. Like you'll notice some, some weeks you just recover really well. And uh, some weeks you just recover really well and you're able to you're able to add a few more reps without even getting like all the way up to failure by the end of your last set. So I don't have any strict rule where I say, oh, all sets are to failure, or I have to make sure I get these many sets to failure, these many sets away from failure. I just try to implement overload, and that generally makes a f- like one or two sets within each exercise to failure, anyways, or like one one rep shy of failure. Right, and and it's just about accumulating that mechanical tension. But I also think that like training to failure is a little bit of a skill. Like it can, on certain exercises that are not like in a machine, it can be a little bit like scary almost is the word, like to go to failure on like a back squat, which is probably not the best exercise to do it on, but you know, whatever. Like it's a little bit scary to like go to failure and and trust yourself to go to that point. But I also think once you get to a certain level of training, it's important to safely test these things so that you actually know where the limit is. If you think you can do 10 reps of of a certain, of a hundred pounds of whatever, but you could really do like 20, but you stop at 10 every time. Like you're, you're kind of selling yourself short type of thing. Definitely. Yeah. You definitely don't want to be too far from failure and training to failure, especially why you uh, log your performance, right? You force yourself, Hey, I did this this week or I did this last week. I'm going to lift a little bit more this week. You'll eventually get closer to failure and then you'll eventually reach failure, which is good. Like you mentioned, because, because in order to know what like one or two or three reps shy of failure is, you usually have to get to failure. It's kind of like saying, it's kind of like saying, oh, you should stop two miles shy of Disneyland, but you don't know where that is unless you actually go to Disneyland. Right. Yeah. The, on, the only way to find the limit is to cross it. Exactly. <laughs> um, th- yeah. It's, it's super important to, to, to be able to do that. And I think, again, it's, it's a little bit of a skill to, to do that, but it's also important to note that, you know, you shouldn't be hitting failure on every single rep or every single set that you do because you'll just gas yourself and your workouts will be like very short and you won't be able to recover from them. And this is why, you know, your nutrition comes in and to play so much that you can't just eat junk and crap all the time, even though you need to be in a surplus, 
I guess technically you could, but it wouldn't be the best way to go about it. A hundred percent agree with everything you just said. And same, and same as, or, or I guess the reverse is true as when you're cutting and you're eating less calories in a deficit, if you're constantly going to failure, now you're not giving your body enough of those resources to actually recover. And this is why like our training needs to change. We can't be hypertrophy training the same hardcore way when, when we're eating less, when you do eventually start to cut. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I pretty much uh, do for, for clients is uh, when they switch from cutting to bulking or bulking to cutting, I usually adjust the volume. So uh, set volume. So like with bulking, you have, you have more calories, you can recover more. So uh, usually they do a little bit more volume. And then when people are cutting, do a little bit less, because if you, if you're at your uh, shout outs to uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Mike, Mike Israel, if you're at MRV, which is the theoretical, uh, the maximum amount of volume that you can recover from, if you're at that while bulking, right, and your recovery capacity goes down by, by cutting, right, then theoretically, that set number has to go down as well, or else you'd be you'd be overtraining, which means that you're not building muscle either, or at least you're suboptimally building muscle. So you want to be in that, that sweet spot where you're not, you know, obviously under training or overtraining, which means, uh, like you said, either adjusting proximity to failure or, or set volume will help with that. Right. And I'm so happy you, you kind of brought that up because it segues perfectly where I kind of wanted this to go. And, you know, it's almost counterintuitive to people to drop volume when you're cutting because the, the, you know, the common knowledge is, oh, I'm cutting now. I got to do like tons of reps, uh, tons of sets. I got to just do more and more and more and more cardio, more everything. But really, we should almost be doing less because yeah. we're fueling <laughs> our body less and you're going to be more likely to get injured or just have ineffective training overall. Yeah, the, the goal is to be able to recover. And how people, a lot of times people don't uh, know what recovery means. People determine that based on how they feel. So people will say like, oh, like I'm feeling good. I'm still able to go to the gym, but they don't realize they might be under recovering, which is why it's so important to track your performance because you might feel a certain way. You might feel like, oh, I can still push it balls to the walls, CrossFit style, right? But (laughs) if your performance isn't actually going up, you're probably doing too much, right? You could could probably lower the volume. Right. And then... uh, the opposite can happen too, where people feel like utter crap. Like I've had clients all the time uh, tell me they're like, oh my gosh, I, I just don't want to work out today. Like I feel like awful and everything like that. But I'm looking at their logs. I'm like, you're like getting stronger every single week. It's like, it's not going to hurt you. Like you'll probably build more muscle by going back in the gym today. And sometimes our, our best performing workouts are when we feel like the worst. Sometimes we just like feel weak and people assume they're like under recovered and they make drastic changes. But really, you might feel a certain way, but your body's performing a different way, which is more important. So yeah. uh, all this to say is it's important to track your performance and base recovery on that and then adjust your, your variables based on that. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. It, it almost blows my mind that eat today people still don't track their workouts. Like we have so many tools, like notes on your phone, tons of apps, like everything, yeah. like it's impossible to like not track. Like, I don't know, I don't know about you, but if you ever like, you know, had a little notebook that you brought into the gym, whatever years ago, like before smartphones and like just write stuff down. And like, that's such a valuable tool because, it, and it seems so obvious now. And I feel silly almost saying it to people because I like, I forget that some people don't do this and I can't figure out why, but it's like, yeah, if your performance in the gym is not improving, then something is not working. Either there's something with your training, something with your recovery, something with your nutrition, something. And so like, you know, you shouldn't be just doing the same thing forever. And if you are, then something's not working, right? It's pretty obvious yeah, to me. Definitely. It's like, 
it's a silly thing I always hear, you know, people say like, oh, I do this weight for squats. Like, what do you mean you do this weight for squats? Like you just squat a hundred pounds. Like that's just what you do forever. Like how long have you done that for? Like, shouldn't you be trying to like yeah. increase that or maybe do that more? It's like, no, no, this is like what I do. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, what are you trying to do here then? <laughs> yeah. Like one week it might be a hundred pounds for 12. One week it might be a hundred pounds for six. It's like, you're not actually getting stronger. You're just bouncing up and down. Yeah. You're just, you're just going through the motions. And like I always say, you know, by all means, it's better than sitting on the couch eating chips. Like I'm happy. If you just go to the gym just to like, you know, move your body around and stuff like that's great. That that's yeah. fine. But you know, if you're going to do something like, you know, do it. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you want to build muscle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially if you want to build muscle, losing fat, you can, you can kind of get away with a little bit more. So mm-hmm. how will your training change uh, when you do start to lose fat? And then we'll talk about the diet side of it in a second. Um, honestly, I just reduce volume. Usually when I start to lose, uh, when I start to go, go to a cut. Uh, but normally right now, uh, if I were to, let's say like transition to a cut, like tomorrow, I probably wouldn't reduce volume personally, just because my bulking volume right now, it's probably under what I can tolerate. Uh, mostly just because I'm not maxing out on like how much volume I can do, like during my bulk, mostly because of, uh, I'll be honest because of time, p- partly because of time, just because doing those extra sets, uh, would put me in the gym longer than I, I need to be. I need that extra time for like business, school, other things like that. And then uh, the other thing is just honestly, uh, mental tolerance. Like w- when people train hard, you can only like tolerate so much. I don't want to get, I don't want to get to the point where I'm, I, I already dread certain exercises. Like I dread like butterfly lateral raises. I dread like leg presses, hack squats. And I don't want to do more sets of those, even though like physiologically, I can tolerate it, recover from it and build more muscle from it. It's just not worth it for me to do that. Like extra one to like three sets every few workouts to, to max out on, on my, my recovery capacity. So because I'm not training to full recovery capacity, uh, when I go back to cut, it'll still be enough volume that I can recover from. So right now, uh, just to give insight on like how coaches do it, we don't always like optimize everything and balls to the walls, everything. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm the first to admit that like doing like more than like two, doing more than like two or three sets of any sort of like split squat just like makes me cry. So like, I I just don't want to do that. So my program right now for split squats is like one to like one to like four sets in a week. Right. Like if I'm doing more than that, like in a given week, it's just like, bro, my legs and glutes just like, don't want to think about that. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's too hard to, it's hard to recover from like in the best of times. And when you're putting yourself at a disadvantage, being in a, being in a cut in a deficit, it's even, it's even worse. Right. So Yeah. yeah, I think minimum effective dose is always like ideal. And, and again, I think it speaks to the fact that everything has to be kind of individualized. Like Mm -hmm. what we say generally on something like a podcast or on Instagram, we're trying to speak to, you know, a lot of people, but what we do for ourselves, like that is for us. And we know from our past and our previous training history, whatever, what's going to work for us the same way for a client, you, you will do something that, or, or ask them to do something that is good for them, but it might not be good for someone else. So it's like, it's kind of like a, you know, do as I say, not as I do type of thing. But, but it's true because everything has to be individualized. Yeah. You'll need to learn to, to tinker the variables. Yeah. Yeah. So then how will you change your, your diet? Obviously we're going to go into a deficit. Will you have a period of maintenance um, in between there or will you go right into the deficit? How do you organize it for yourself? Yeah. Good question. So right now with my surplus, it's funny that you just mentioned that because with my surplus, I'm doing something that I almost never recommend to clients unless they're very advanced which is I'm not tracking macros or anything. And it, I think it's important to track your macros in, in a surplus so you can get to that sweet spot where you're not 
gaining too much body fat, but we know that you're still gaining, right? Um, but when I go into deficit, it's pretty much the same thing. I just eat, eat freely. Uh, I don't track macros, but I will tinker with my food choices in order to enter that deficit. So right now I'm eating a little bit more calorically dense foods, right? we got like your, your fats, a little bit of refined sugars, um, uh, things that are a bit more processed, but we try to keep the bulk of the, the nutrition very nutritious. So most of my meals are still like protein sources, vegetable, fruit sources, uh, grains, nuts, things like that. And then when I go to a cut, I'll probably just switch to, uh, I'll take fattier cuts of meat and then switch to leaner ones. So from like chicken thighs to chicken breast, uh, things like, uh, like ground beef, 80, 20 to like 90, 10. And then I'll switch out, uh, some starch and some fat for more vegetables. So I usually just like double my veggie intake once I go to a cut and have that replace other calories that might be higher, right? Like your, your starches, sugars, and fats, right? So like your, your avocados, your nuts, chocolate, uh, uh, what do you have it? Rice, things like that. So on the plate, I'd have a little bit like less rice, a little bit less avocado and more, uh, just more vegetables and fruit in general is very low calorie too. So generally those two things go up now, as far as, uh, aiming for a certain caloric intake, like, do I go to like maintenance first and then uh, deficit? My stance on this is a little controversial, but, uh, I actually with myself and with pretty much all of my clients, um, all of my, I'll say this, all of my advanced clients, I don't have them go to maintenance if their goal is to continually have a physique improvement. So I don't think there's any physiological benefit to go to stopping at maintenance from either direction. So from going from a cut to a bulk or going from a bulk to a, a cut, I don't think there's any uh, physiological benefit for, for maintenance. I do think there's some psychological benefits, especially for beginners, where they might be intimidated to bulk. So we'll stop at maintenance first and we'll teach them how to maintain, right? Or uh, like they just finished the bulk and they, they're used to eating all this food, right? And they might not be uh, accustomed to, to a deficit just yet. So we'll, we'll have them at maintenance first. But physiologically, uh, for the advanced lifter, maintenance is kind of like a waste of time. Because uh, if you go from a cut, like some people will say, like I heard this like old like bro knowledge, which is like, there, there's no evidence for this. But <laughs> people will say like, if you go from a cut and you, you should stop at maintenance because if you go from a cut to a bulk, you just get really fat. But that's not true because it's all, it's all a controlled amount of fat. So you're going to a predicted uh, conservative surplus first, but you still need that surplus because without it, you're still just dorking around at maintenance, right? And then from a surplus to a, a deficit, right? Sometimes people will say, oh, if you need, you'll need to go to maintenance first to make sure your body really hangs on to all the muscle it gained during that surplus. And that rationale has no evidence either. So there, your, your body doesn't just suddenly lose muscle once it enters a deficit. All that happens is the muscle bu building signal diminishes. So you probably won't build muscle once you enter a deficit, but you're not going to lose your muscle. And so therefore, there's, uh, in my opinion, there's no physiological incentive to hang out, hang out at maintenance. So I just go from surplus to deficit and then deficit back to surplus. Yeah. If, I, if I'm I, transitioning. I, I totally agree. And I, and I would I see how it's like controversial again for like most people who are not uh, as advanced, having kind of done this cycle a, a couple of times, it would be, there's certainly value in like learning to live at maintenance. And that's a big Definitely. deal for a lot of people because most people have just been like basically in a surplus their entire life, continually gaining weight and that's not okay. Um, but you know, not on purpose, not bulking, just gaining fat. 
so so learning to live at maintenance is, is definitely good and probably at some point like that's the goal like uh, at some point you're going to want to stop you're not going to want to put the effort into like gain more muscle mass and you don't want to get any leaner so you just end up maintaining the rest of your life but yeah I, i'm with you there that i don't think there's really a huge advantage to to having that other than the intangible stuff physiologically like you said not a not a big deal for it so so i'm with you there i i basically did the same thing i went from a huge surplus to a huge deficit and, and, uh, and, you know, away we go and it's kind of working, working just fine. But you're right that the, the psychological swing of going the opposite way from a large deficit into a large surplus, if you're going from a cut to a bulk can be quite, um, intimidating almost because the scale is going to jump quickly for a lot of people when you, when you do that and you just have to be prepared for that to happen. Definitely. goes back to individualization. Yes. Now, are you a fan of doing more aggressive cuts or do you go slow and steady? What's your, what's your take on that? This is a good question. Uh, I'm honestly a fan of both. I I really like both to be honest for, I would say for like most like gen pop type of clients, I I would think that uh, slow and steady is generally better just because most people, they think they can be aggressive. Like they have all this motivation when they start, (laughs) but they can't really sustain uh, an, an aggressive type of cut, like beyond like maybe like a week or two. Right. Agreed. So for most gen pop people, I'd say slow and steady. Um, if you're a bit more advanced or as if you can uh, tolerate the bigger deficit, I think aggressive, aggressive cuts are fine, especially if you have extra body fat. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with, with going a bit more aggressive. I personally, it, it depends on what I want to prioritize. If I still want training to go pretty well, then I'll do a slow and steadier cut because with a more aggressive cut, you won't be able to progressive overload your, your training as much, or at least as often. Uh, in addition, you just have less food fun. So like less <laughs> flexibility with friends and, and social hours and things like that. So that would be the drawback to, to having an aggressive cut. But aggressive cuts have, have really big benefits too, in the sense that you get it over with a lot faster if you can stick yeah. with it. Like if you go on like a really aggressive cut, um, and as long as you don't lose muscle, so not too aggressive, um, you could... You could get, you could finish the dieting process quite fast. So it, de- it would depend on timelines. Um, I'd probably lean more towards. Uh, I probably lean a little bit more towards the the aggressive side of things, but uh, I, I don't really have a huge preference either way. Yeah, I think I think that that's a good summary of that, and it's almost more about like what's kind of going on in your life at that time. Like if you know that you're going to have like a bunch of social obligations and things that are going to sort of get in the way of your diet, then like using that aggressive approach isn't probably, it probably is not the best because you're kind of just half-assing it. And if you're half-assing it, then you're not really being that aggressive. And then you just get into this like cycle of dieting for forever. But if you know that you're going to be in control of things for like for the next six weeks and you can like go hard at it and eat very little and like train, you know, do all the things then, then yeah, like, I mean, go, go for it. Like that, that's what I'm doing right now. But again, it's because I know that I'm going to be in control of the things for forever. And I think another thing is that there's an end point to it. I'm not just planning mm-hmm. on eating very little, like for the next six months, like that would be pretty dumb and unsustainable, but yeah, you know, for definitely. six weeks, like, I can suck it up and do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but I also agree with you that for most people, for the majority of people, the, the slow and steady approach is, is certainly the best way and the best way to like develop a better relationship with food and, and have a healthy lifestyle and like a normal lifestyle, a normal human lifestyle. Um, and so, you know, it's probably best for most, but it's, it's not to not to dismiss the aggressive approaches for sure. Definitely. There's also like a, a third one I want to throw out there, yeah. which is you can start aggressive 
and that will get you some mm-hmm. quick weight loss. And that usually motivates a lot of people. What, what we see uh, just with experience in the literature is when people experience early weight loss, they're usually more motivated to stick through, through the process. So with some clients, I'll do like an aggressive cut first for like the first couple of weeks and then switch to a more uh, like moderate approach. Because some people, like if they just see, some people, if they see like 0.5 or one pound loss the first week, I'm like, that's fat loss. This is how this works. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is the, this is how your body loses fat. That's a very appropriate rate. And they're just like, nah, that's not good enough for me. I just want to binge now. Right. Yeah. But if they see like maybe two pounds in that first week, maybe two and a half, they're like, okay, let, let's keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a huge valuable part of it as well is like, but again, it has a, it has an end date, right? No. So the, the client Definitely. may not know that, but like you as a coach and like, okay, we're going to do this aggressive for like three weeks, just get a little bit of quick progress, get some buy-in. And then we're going to settle into like, what's really going to happen here. And that's kind of where, where more of the magic is because the buy-in is important too. Another mm-hmm. thing I want to highlight there is uh, the, the speed at which it happens. You know, we've, we've kind of referenced a few times in this conversation already, how, like how it's easier to lose fat. And so it's reasonable to lose fat one pound per week. That is like pretty easy and sustainable, even mm-hmm. two pounds per week, even up to like three plus pounds per week, depending on how much you've got to lose. Like that can happen no matter how hard you try. Nobody's gaining three pounds of muscle in a week. Even one pound of muscle in a week is like no, yeah. nearly <laughs> impossible unless you're using some, some type of, you know, steroids and, and different drugs, like maybe, but even then, like that's pretty impressive if someone was able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Building muscle takes much longer. Unless you're using, like you said, black market sauces. <laughs> yeah, black market sauces. I love that. The, the, a, f- a favorite one that I heard, I, I believe I heard this on another podcast, and they were referencing uh, um, MMA fighters and boxers who were blaming uh, Mexican beef, they said, oh, yeah. for, for steroid uses, and they called them Mexican supplements as steroids. So I thought that's a fun one, too. Yeah, I'm a big uh, MMA fan, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a fan. Do you, do you train at all yourself? I used to a long time ago when I was younger, like in my teens and early twenties, but, uh, I stopped. Like I used to train, like at one point in my life, I wanted to be an MMA fighter, but then I just kept getting injured. And the, the lifestyle was just really rough. Like you go to practice to get beat up and I'm just like, yeah, I ain't about this <laughs> at, at a certain point. It just stopped being super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's like basically, basically no money in it until you get to the very, very top. So it's, yeah. like, it's a hard thing. <laughs> it's a hard thing to just grind through. Like they are, they're a special breed of people. Anyone who can, who can make it through, uh, being an MMA fighter and those who all make it all the way through to the, to the UFC or to whatever. So, but yeah, it's an awesome, it's, it's, it's my favorite sport for sure. Me too. Yeah. Nothing but respect for them. Just not, not my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I like respect it even more because it's, it's so outside the realm of something that I would be willing to do that. It's like, wow, I, I, I've had like the smallest little taste of what it's like and no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also think it's like, uh, the, the purest form of human competition. It's like, we just get in a cage. We're not wearing any clothes and we just fight. That's it. Everyone understands it. If you show someone from like a different country, the like a football game or a hockey game or something like they have no idea, like what's going on a baseball game. Like if I watch a cricket game, I have no idea what's happening, but you yeah. show somebody a fight. Everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> like that dude's bleeding he's probably losing <laughs> yeah yeah he's punching him more she's punching her more like oh, okay I, I can follow this yeah for sure yeah fighting uh fighting is, is is definitely interesting uh like i could i could talk about mma like all day i i love watching the sport but like you said just would i i don't want to train like meticulously with mma anymore yeah yeah so yeah i'm, I'm with you there so you know thank you to all MMA fighters and people who, who make that happen and providing that entertainment and inspiration for us. But, uh, you know, you keep doing what you're doing. We'll keep, we'll keep doing what our, what we're doing. 
Yeah. Um, another thing that I kind of wanted to, to talk to you about, about as far as like switching between diets. And, and I think I kind of know where you're going to lean this because, because I know you've written about it in the past. Um, but I'm just going to drop the term and I'm going to let you riff on it. Reverse diets. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So reverse diets, it used to be even more common than it once was, but I think there's a few people who started criticizing it and then I still think at least in the YouTube underground sense, there's still tons of videos about like reverse dieting. So for starters, let's, let's define reverse dieting. Mm -hmm. So most people define reverse dieting as after you finish a deficit. So you've, you've dieted for a certain amount of time, right? And now you're, you're ready to transition to, uh, to maintenance, right? And let's you're, so you're done dieting. So with a reverse diet, the theory is that if you add calories back up slowly and incrementally, right? Uh, then once you do reach maintenance, you gain less body fat and you can maintain while eating more calories. And both of those claims are a complete fairy tale. Uh, <laughs> I have nothing but respect for lots of people who make these claims who are generally very solid with other things, right? That being said, I do think there are quacks that are just wrong with everything and also promote reverse dieting, which makes them even worse. Of course. But, uh, there's no evidence behind any of those claims and physiologically it just doesn't make sense so if you're at if you're at a deficit right and you reverse diet slowly right you're still in a deficit so the the purpose of ending a diet is to get back to maintenance which means that you need to relieve your body of the stress of the diet if you do that incrementally it doesn't matter if you're at a smaller deficit, you're still in a deficit, meaning right. your body is still taking in fewer calories than it's burning off. So you're still technically in a restrictive state. When you're at any sort of energy deficit, your body is under uh, just slightly more stress. And if anyone's dealing with any sort of like, men especially mental stress, reverse dieting, is it's just awful because you're just prolonging the dieting process, right? So not only is there detriment to it, but because you're not even back at maintenance, there's no reason you'd gain body fat, right? Even if you, so the typical standard way of, of uh, returning to maintenance would be you just jump back to maintenance. So there should be no fat gain because by definition, you're entering your, your maintenance calories. You're not entering a surplus. So, uh, and you should be entering what I call a, a predicted maintenance, which means it's your maintenance, but just a little bit more conservative. So you definitely, definitely know you're not even gaining any grams of fat. And sometimes people who like advocate for a reverse diet, they've done the traditional, oh, I went from a deficit to maintenance and like I gained weight. But what they don't realize is because they're in a restrictive state, their body is dehydrated from water and their glycogen stores are, are, are short of both sugar and water. So uh, by reverse dieting, it kind of relieves some of that mental like anguish of, oh, like I'm not gaining weight as fast. But just by jumping back to maintenance, you gain, you might gain like one or two pounds within the first week. And sometimes people assume that's fat loss, but that's really just water. Uh, that's just water replenishment and, and glycogen replenishment, which is really good because you want those things <laughs> replenished yeah. as soon as you finish a diet. You don't want to prolong the process of getting those things uh, replenished. And then as far as the, the metabolic rate theory, where uh, you're supposed to, uh, if you, if you, if you uh, increase your calories incrementally, your metabolism will ramp up. And then by the time you reach maintenance, you get to eat more calories than before, like a freaking God. And that's just <laughs> not how this works. So uh, your metabolism is largely determined by your current uh, 
energy, uh, energy balance and your current uh, body composition, right? So if you, if you increase calories incrementally, right, you're still in a deficit. You're still taking in fewer calories uh, than you burn off over time. And because you're taking less than someone who's eating more, right, meat doesn't have a chance. So your, your non-exercise activity doesn't have a chance to recover. Uh, in addition, you have less of a thermic effect of food. So it's always proportioned to your, your energy balance. And then in addition to that, it's always proportionate to your, uh, your body composition. So whatever, you're just taking a longer time to get back to the maintenance you would have had anyways. So there's no, uh, there's no lesson in, oh, I get to eat more at, at this new maintenance. Anyone who says that is just experiencing anecdote. That's not like, that's not actually true. Um, what could also happen is those people might have gained uh, muscle in their cut. And so their metabolic rate is a bit higher. And they also uh, might've not actually been that far in their fitness journey to experience a lot of data. So the first time they get back to maintenance, they don't realize that uh, NEAT, they're, they're uh, basically just a fancy term that means non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is just another fancy term that means you're, uh, you're walking and you're fidgeting, right? Your, your exercise outside of, of formal gym time so that neat, it's very interesting because that, uh, that it changes with your energy balance. And what people don't realize is their neat actually just recovered. So they think they're able to eat more and they think their metabolism is higher, but it would have recovered faster if they just jumped back to maintenance. But because they didn't have that extra control group of themselves, they just <laughs> assume one thing and they're like, well, I experienced it. And that, that's enough to, to make this like wild conclusion. That's not actually true. So that's my riff about reverse diet. <laughs> that, that was that was fantastic and better better than I expected. But yeah, man, I, I'm totally with you on that. And I think there's a, a couple of things to unpack a little bit there is that um, one scale weight doesn't mean fat gain. Like if the Correct. scale jumps up, if I have this glass of water and I drink this entire glass of water and go step on the scale, I'm going to be heavier as much as whatever the weight of that water is in the glass. It doesn't mean I gained uh, a pound of fat or whatever it is, right? So that's one thing just to you know note for, for people. I think another thing is to separate psychology from physiology. If someone mm -hmm. is scared of eating more for fear of fat loss, or sorry, for fear of gaining fat, then maybe a reverse diet psychologically is going to help that person. But you know, the coach and whoever should understand that physiologically, it's not actually preventing future fat gain. It's, it's just helping them get comfortable eating more again if there's someone who's like scared of eating more which you know i'm not an expert in this but like that sounds like an eating disorder to me and should probably be handled by someone who's who yeah. equipped to, to, to handle that um but but physiologically you know I'm, I'm totally with you i've never seen anything in my own personal experience and my own experience with clients and any research that i've read that that suggests that it's somehow necessary or somehow leads to uh, better results. It's just a, a fancy way of, of doing things that sounds productive, but like you said, and I think this is the most important part, it prolongs the, the deficit. It prolongs the cut. Yeah. Like no one wants to diet. You don't want to diet for a long period of time. You want to diet for short periods of time. So doing something to prolong your diet doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me either, but I mean, you know, there are smart people who, who, who talk about this all the time. And there are some not smart people who talk about this all the time and just messy information out there. Yeah. And just practically speaking, especially for like gem pop people, like they, they usually already like develop some sort of routine in a deficit. Now you're asking them to like, Oh, we'll, we'll add like 50 grams of carbs. And then like, <laughs> we'll add another 50 grams. It's just like, it's just like, let's just get to maintenance. You get some extra food. We have a new lifestyle here that you can stay at for a while. Yeah. And it's, and it's such a slow thing. Like if, if your deficit 
is like 500 calories, which is not like a whole lot. You're going to tell me someone can like accurately add 150 calories like regularly and then add 150 calories. Like that's so meticulous that I don't think that most people are actually capable of doing that if we like had a perfect way to measure all of these things. So it's like we're kind of just not like doing something, but then also not even able to accomplish that thing that we think that we're doing and that's having no effect anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Great way of putting it. Yeah. It's a, it's a silly way, but, but I'm happy that you, that you, you know, you explain that so eloquently as you, as you do with everything and like the same way that you break down things. Um, so scientifically, but also in a way that's understandable for people in your articles. And, you know, I, I think we need a lot more of that because a lot of this fitness stuff, like it is complicated and there's a lot of science out there, but the applications for most people are pretty simple. Totally agree. So, so yeah, so I just want to, uh, you know, applaud you for being able to communicate these ideas because that's certainly a skill that's not easy, but is, but is definitely necessary. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Some people see my tag or my handle and they just assume, and because I write some of these like really in-depth articles, they just assume that my coaching is like that. They just assume like I, I just send PubMed articles to like my clients and like make them <laughs> read studies and, and tell them how to optimize everything. But most of, pretty much like most of my clients, they get a very simple game plan of like super simple stuff that like most like trainers and nutritionists could like assign and learn from in like their first year of like, like coaching and everything. It's like, if you want to lose body fat, the average person probably needs to eat a little bit more protein, probably needs to eat a little bit more vegetables, probably needs to walk a little bit more and then just keep some sort of like consistent gym routine. And then for the person who's building muscle, they pretty much need to do the same thing. We just have to make sure very meticulously that progressive overload is there. Like we have to be very hard on that because I don't want people to spend time in a surplus without stimulating muscle growth. Right. But yeah. for the most part, advice is just very simple. Like one week clients are like, Hey, I want to try out this like new gadget or like, I want to like do this crazy thing with my, my diet and do this like reverse diet break osmosis hydration <laughs> drinking water from Valhalla and then doing some sort of snake fast and I'm just like no you just need to eat a few less donuts this week and just move a tiny bit more <laughs> yeah yeah at the at the <laughs> that's hilarious at the end of the day that's that's really all it comes down to right and you know we 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 coach people these are human beings they're not textbooks if we coached robots yeah you could send them pubmed med articles and perfect measurements and exact training volume loads and percentages and all this yeah. stuff but like that doesn't matter cuz most people like most of us barely understand that and there's so much science we don't even understand about that and too many variables like we are humans first and our clients are humans first and so like you know we need to be able to speak to them like humans, not like robots. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate this chat. It's It's been a really good one. Um, people definitely need to plug in more to, to everything that you're writing and teaching about because, you know, it's just it's it's more of this. So so thank you for, for all that you've done. I appreciate it so much, Daniel. Thank you for where having can, me. Where can people uh, find you more? Rattle off your website and social media handles. And I'll put it all in the show notes as well, but uh, just rattle off here. So uh, main platforms I'm on right now is uh, website and Instagram. So I write uh, my best articles on my own website, awesomefitnessscience.com. So that's where like a lot of like in-depth stuff is. You should also sign up for my email list, which has lots of uh, more in-depth stuff and lots of simple stuff as well. Um, That's where some of my other best contents and update is at. And then I'm also on Instagram where I post most days if I feel like it. And uh, actually goal for 20... What, what year are we in? <laughs> year uh, 2022. My goal is to be uh, on TikTok and start posting consistently there as well. 
Um, other than that, I'm also on YouTube, uh, Awesome Fitness Science, same thing. And Facebook, uh, it's just my name. It's just my personal Facebook. But for the most part, you can find me on my website, Instagram, and then look out for TikTok. Awesome. Yeah, TikTok, TikTok is a... It's a wild one. I posted a couple things, just like some reels that I had posted and just like reposted them on TikTok. But like, it's, it seems it's such a silly platform to me. And there's so much silly information that I'm like, I don't, I don't know who's going here to like learn real things, but I mean, it, it definitely needs more of it. So if you're willing to, to put in the work and do that, then Hey man, by, by all means go for it. Yeah, I definitely am. Like funny story. The, one of the reasons I wanted to get on TikTok was the Instagram reels were already doing great. So I, I just thought, Hey, I could repost them there. And I can also make like new content for TikTok and just try to build a following there and everything. Mm -hmm. But uh, my sister, actually, she has like no followers on TikTok. Uh, She's not trying or anything. Uh, She's not like an influencer or anything, but she just randomly has a TikTok. And she has like no followers. She has like maybe like five of her friends as followers. And she posted this like really like weird, dumb video of her dog that she made in like five seconds. Like it's just like the dumbest thing ever. It had like no value, like I guess no like educational value or anything. But it got like 13,000 views. And I'm just like, I'm just like, okay, what's up with this platform that just like promotes everybody? I'm like, there's something about this. And I know people who like just post like the absolute most like dumb random things. Like they'll post like a picture of their food or like a video of their food or they'll post like some weird dance that they did in like five seconds. And it just like goes viral. And I'm not like trying to be this like millennial who's like, oh, like my dreams to be viral and like live the luxurious TikTok life of like influencing and everything. (laughs) But I think there is something there um, and I'm willing to get over the common, like, uh, fit pro hurdle of the average mentality in our industry is, oh, TikTok is for like, you know, children who like do dances and stuff, but I see fitness professionals doing great on there too. So I'm like yeah. all this together, I started noticing towards the end of the year and I'm just like, okay, I, this is going to be my goal is to do something on TikTok, like legitimately do something, actually try to like stick with it for a while, not just post a video here and there because my sister alone just posted a video here and there. <laughs> And she did very well. So I'm like, okay, I could do a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly think there's, there's value in it for sure. And like from, not that I like, I rarely open TikTok maybe once every couple of weeks or something, just scroll through and I just see nonsense. And maybe that's just because I go there to like turn my brain off. So it only feeds me more <laughs> nonsense. I don't know, but, but uh, it, it seems to me to distinctly be missing some good information. So as the platform, I think matures, it will probably be more conducive to that. And so yeah, man, I, I I think you I think you definitely should do it. If I was willing to put in the you know the video content of it, I definitely would be there too. But currently, I'm not, so I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, just and just like, like for, just like budding, bulking and cutting, I'm just not willing to do it, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and like for like fit pros too, it's uh, it's funny because I always end up going to this conversation with a lot of these podcasts I'm on. But if I were to give some sort of advice for like fit pros making content, is like to do what I guess what comes naturally to you and what, what would work best for you. Like for me, writing will still always be my bread and butter. That's like right. my main form where I put all my attention. Like TikTok's more like a, a side thing that I'm experimenting with. And like for you, it'd be like podcasting. And like for me, podcasting, like doing my own podcast literally just like gives me like all this anxiety. And like, <laughs> I just like, I just see the amount of work needed for that. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Where like you have to get this like equipment, like book shows, like, learn how to talk on camera and like email people back and forth to get them on. And like, yeah, all that. And like putting it on like these different platforms that I'm not like accustomed with like stuff, certain things just don't come naturally to me. And I think with all fit pros, there are certain like platforms and techniques that don't come naturally to them. And then there are ones that do come naturally to them. I would say to focus on the ones that, that you're better at. So I don't think everyone's a podcaster. I don't think everyone's 
like a, a writer or everyone's not like a, a video maker, you might be better at like long form, like YouTube and some people like short form, like, like TikTok. But I would try to hone in on what you're, you're good at and comes natural to you as opposed to just doing what like everybody else thinks is like fun and cool. But like being on other people's podcasts, like side note, I love being on other people's podcasts. I, I just don't want to do what you do. <laughs> I just don't want to yeah. set up podcasts. Yeah, man. No, totally agree. I, I think that that's a great, that's a great tip actually. Like there's so many different forms of, of media and forms of sharing things that we've all kind of, kind of find the thing that works best for us. Like, like, you know, use myself as an example, like what I was just saying, I have no interest in like continually making TikTok videos. I have nothing against it. Just for me personally, not, not my thing. But doing podcasts, setting it up, doing that thing is easier to me than even doing a YouTube video easier to me or not easier, but it's like less barrier in, in like my brain to doing it, even than writing. I enjoy mm-hmm. writing, but like writing a full article is like a lot feels like more work to me than it is to like do all the things with a podcast. Right. So, yeah, we all just got to kind of find our, our way to, to share it and, um, and and continue to share this good information. But you, you've been a fantastic guest. Like it's just being, <laughs> being, being a normal person, having a normal conversation. So on that side, like it, it's awesome. I appreciate it so much, my man. Yeah, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, I'll have your, your, um, your contact info and, and everything in the show notes as well. Is there anything else you want to leave the people with here in closing? Carbs don't make you fat. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's a perfect way to end this. Calvin, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate your time and attention as always. Make sure you're following Calvin. Subscribe to his email list. Check out his articles on his website and and everywhere else on the internet. While you're at it, give me a follow on Instagram as well, at Daniel Yoris. Um, Give the podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. Share it with a friend. Don't reverse diet. Have fun with your bulk. Have fun with your cut. And that's it. Appreciate you all. Take it easy.